You are listening to The Black Landscape with Andrea Spearman, where Black excellence is always trending. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Andrea Spearman, and this is The Black Landscape, where we engage with emerging and established Black leaders here in the San Francisco Bay Area. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to leave a review of the show on Apple Podcasts or in the comments of our social media. I am a light-skinned Black woman with my dark brown curly hair wrapped up in a head wrap today. (laughs) It's Black and it also has a pattern of green, blue, red, and yellow flakes, (laughs) circles, spots, whatever they be, they up in there. Today, I'm wearing a Heather Gray t-shirt that reads in orange and green letters, Bay Area Dance Week. So we're here with special guests, Gabriel and Chibweze, known together as Oyster Night. Woo! Hey! (laughs) Please describe yourselves to the people. Okay. Hi. So um, I'm Gabrielle Christian. I oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Gabrielle. Yes, Gabrielle Christian. I'm wearing a black hat that says the Apollo on it, which is where I'm from. I'm from Harlem, so just gives you a sense of where I'm from. I've got gold earrings for my grandma. I've got my scraggly um, beard and mustache and goatee going on. I'm a black uh, genderqueer person with locks down to my chin, basically, that are in, under the hat. A brown jacket and a black and white kind of like um, boxing martial arts outfit, I guess you call it. <laughs> oh, uh, with a V neck, mm-hmm. stripes. Hit <laughs> us with your best shot. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Chipweze. I am a light skinned black queer person with a lavender colored beanie that I'm hiding my messy hair under today, which is um, partially dyed blonde with dark boots growing out. Um, Unfortunately, you can't see it today, but it is there. I'm wearing all black, black pants, a black sweatshirt from Glide Church that says love in the front. And I have no earrings in my jewelry today. I'm dressed down very casually. Oh, JK, but I do have a septum piercing, a small septum piercing in my nose. We both have nice. We do, yeah. Gabe has a nose ring. Come on, matching. (laughs) <laughs> Twins. <laughs> Welcome. Let's Thank give you. the audience a brief background of who you are individually. Chibweze first. Let's talk about where you grew up and how you became a movement artist. Ooh, okay. Wow. Well, that's a story. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I grew up in Connecticut in a suburb outside of New York City called Danbury, um, D Block. And <laughs> Yeah, I grew up, um, you know, doing a lot of theater, actually. That was where I started out, doing a lot of theater, choir, singing. And once I got to college, I continued to do that. I did acapella. I continued to do theater. I didn't really do much dance. Um, And when I graduated, same thing. I worked for some theater companies. I worked in the Caribbean at Trinidad Theater Workshop for a year, doing theater, learning about masquerade, learning about um, a lot of Black and, like, non-American theater, which was really exciting. And then when I came back after uh, doing my fellowship there for a year, I was living in New Haven at the time, you know, working on arts festival, hating my life, (laughs) doing a full-time job. So I felt, you know, I didn't have enough time really to do the theater like I wanted to. I was doing some local theater, but it was not really fulfilling me in the ways I wanted. And Mm -hmm. before I had gone to Trinidad, Gabe had moved to the Bay Area and Gabe was doing at first a lot of theater stuff, experimental theater, which looked really cool to me. And I was like, 
that's where I want to be. That experimental theater looks like the kind of stuff I want to do. I don't really want to do Broadway in New York. I don't really want to do that kind of I want to do something a little more edgy. <laughs> exactly, yeah, exactly. I'm not about the jazz hands. It's not, it's not really me. <laughs> so You're I not? To, <laughs> not? Exactly. Just, so then I applied to a job that brought me to the Bay Area. Um, it was like an AmeriCorps job. And I promptly quit that within like three months because I was like, this is not what I'm here to do. It was just kind of a vehicle to get me here. And again, it was like a full-time job. So it didn't really allow me space to pursue my arts practice like I wanted at the time. Um, and I started acting locally in a lot of regional plays in the Bay Area. And, you know, it was cool. There's a lot of exciting theater that happens out here. But I also got pretty quickly frustrated with the ways that as an actor, there was only so much creative power I had in the space. It felt like you know, often I was just, you know, fulfilling directors' dreams and wishes, which is, of course, what an actor does. But for me as an artist, I really wanted more uh, directorial control. I wanted more creative control. And as someone who acts, but I also write, I sing. Um, I do video art. I do. I became very interested in Masquerade in Trinidad and started doing more ritual theater exploration. As someone with all those other skill sets, I was like, I want to do more. Like, I don't want to just act. I also want to bring all these other things that I do into my work. And so around the end of 2017, I was still doing acting, but I was just like, you know, bored of it. Gabe and I decided to join forces and apply to a, um, it was kind of like a fellowship with Queer Cultural Center go for their National Queer Arts Festival in 2018. And so we decided to join forces and make like an experimental duo together and make an experimental show that involved all the different things that we do. Gabe is also a multi-talented artist who will share more about the things they do. And that was the birth of Oyster Knife, basically. And that was what brought me into movement work because by that point, I was very much a social dancer, you know, loved mm-hmm. going to dance and stuff <laughs> like that. But I did not, I wasn't trained in dance or anything like mm-hmm. that. And by that point, by the time we started doing Oyster Knife, Gabe was getting into more dance mm-hmm. and experimental, that kind of thing, experimental dance. Um, so yeah, that was what really became the birth of our company and became my entrance into the dance world. Mm-hmm. And I very much learned by fire, I guess, or learned through experience and like doing our shows together, starting to take a little more dance classes. And eventually that segued into me not only making work with Oyster Knife over the years, but I started working with people like Bandaloop, mm-hmm. first as a vocalist and now, and then partially as like a vocalist dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it just kind of bloomed from there. And so now I guess you can say it's, it feels weird sometimes to say it because I still feel like there's so many things I do. But yeah, part of my practice is being a movement artist. And I feel like it's been a, very non-linear trajectory, but you know, it brought me to Easter Knife and it's been really fulfilling to have a platform where I can just kind of express all the things that I want to do creatively. And also, you know, with Oyster Knife, part of the reason we made it is so that we could kind of make performance about the subjects that are most interesting to us and that are not necessarily solely linked to our identity as black queer artists or that allow us to subvert that kind of um, subject matter in the ways that feel autonomous to us. So We'll talk more about that, you know, as we go on, because, you know, that's about us. Yes. Together, but, right. Yeah. You're getting too deep already. Slow down. <laughs> I can tell. I can tell. But yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's how I got to where I am now, which is, you know, interdisciplinary artists, making, you know, yeah. theater, making dance, making film, writing, all the things, singing. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, for people who don't know, movement is not necessarily just all about dance, because in theater, there's a lot of movement. There's a lot of embodiment of your whole person. Absolutely. So you was moving in a different way before (laughs) you got the, before you got with the dancers. It's true. It's true. Yeah. And I think that's what kind of helped with that transition a little bit. I wasn't Mm -hmm. um, unfamiliar with, you know, embodied performance. So it really helped. Mm -hmm. Gabrielle Christian, 
I haven't always been Gabrielle Christian, so I understand the mistakes. I, it's one of those things where my name has changed probably three times since I've been in the Bay Area. Yeah. I'm getting my more <laughs> Yes. Um, but I, I'm from New York. I'm from Harlem, as I mentioned earlier, with my Apollo hat, um, very close to the suburb of Danbury. Um, Actually. <laughs> outside, of the, outside the outskirts of the suburb of Dan, Danbury. And uh, I, um, yeah, I started off, I, I was actually raised you know, in, in Harlem for 18 years and went to school there and was also an actor and, and a young actor doing theater for a while as a, as, a, as a high school person, high school kid. But I also, in my household, had people in my family who were dancers. So I would say my journey actually begins with these folks who took me to school. We used to live with my mom and I. My mom was a single mom in Harlem. She was working all the time. So she had people live in the apartment for cheaper rent to take me to school. And they were all dancers. So we have rehearsals in our apartment, in our living room. That's kind of where I feel like I would say, like, I started seeing what it is to be a movement artist. And then flash forward, you know, till college. Um, was also a theater major. I was a theater major in Twizy. It wasn't, but we met in the theater. We there. actually met in college. Yeah, yeah, we met in college like 13, 14 years ago now. So I was wow. a full-fledged theater studies artist. I was working, you know, with the dr- folks from drama school, art school. I was really undergraduate, like looking for anything I could get my hands on and, and not really getting cast, but I wanted to get cast. Like Twizy mentioned earlier, there's a way that um, theater was really casting me in these like creature, monster, like these like weird character roles that weren't how I felt inside. Um, that's part of me sort of being over theater. Though I had one fun show I did with somebody, Robert Woodruff, who's been yes. a mentor forever at the Yale Rep, my first like, theater credit. Moved to the Bay Area kind of on a whim because I had friends who had found a place here. I had no reason to be here. I just showed up. <laughs> um, I literally showed up and I was like, oh shit, I don't have any money. I had to be a barista immediately. I had one dramaturging <laughs> gig with uh, We Players, which did a show at Sutro Bath. And then that was my first time seeing theater and dance. And being done in an immersive sort of way that I think also informs a lot of how we work. I saw I was like, dude, as a as a, a bit actor, as a dramaturg, but I was like, oh, you actually can do this too. It's not just this or that. The Bay really mm-hmm. is dance theater as a concept. I think there's many folks that we've worked with in our time, and I think you know as I've gone along doing theater, I, I started dropping theater and doing more dance theater and then more dance. That's kind of mm-hmm. how it went. The dance theater I just mentioned, like people like Joe Good, kind of cast me early on in my dance career. Jess Curtis. Uh, and Bleefenthal at Skywatchers. Mm, and, yes, awesome. yeah. mm-hmm. um, and so these are all folks who kind of, I think, informed uh, the community, community engaged, like not necessarily like concert dance, but like dance that's really built around the community and what we need as a, as a body of folks in the work and not trying to be technically precise all the time, but actually being more about the spirit or the soul of the work. That's kind of informed how I think about dance. And now, and of course, from there, just like all these other, I'd say the real thing that got me into the scene, the experimental scene here was, you know, used to go by Randy Reyes. Now it's Ray Supernova, someone who cast me in this thing called List This. List This, about to see this. That collective really just is still a lot of my good friends. Um, most of them are my good friends still. And we still make work together in different capacities. There's also something called Rupture now that is kind of a, it comes with stems off of List This. And that's all black uh, improvisers. So I think really improvisation is what I've been naming as my practice, uh, along with other interdisciplinary forms of extemporaneous art making, and speech and, and, and songs, yeah. yeah, speech, song, text, poetry. Mm-hmm. It takes a, it runs again because we are, you know, we were, we were for a while. We were better paid artists now, but we were underpaid artists for a while. And then the under- listen, you know, <laughs> in the underpaid artist category, you got to do everything: produce, yeah. houseman, etc. So, so that's we, how we became multi. Precisely artists. because of necessity. So yes, yes. that's that's the journey, and here we are. You know, yeah, 20, 2024, 2024. seven years later. 
from Moist and Ivy made. Seven years later from Moist and Ivy, and yeah, like 14 years later from Wild. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Aw. So yeah, y'all met when y'all were just fetuses at the college. Literally. Literally, Literally, yes. yes. Intertwined. Intertwined. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love that. It's so funny. There's a few of, of you, the East Coast people, that have wandered your way on over here, and now you didn't stayed. (laughs) <laughs> and loved it and living and learning. I said, I talked to several people who just on a whim on came a whim. to the Bay Area. And I'm like, well, welcome. We appreciate <laughs> you. <laughs> as long as you're bringing, you know, culture, talent, and your hard work. That's what I love. I feel like so many wonderfully talented people have made their way to the Bay Area and made it their home. Totally. Mm, exactly. Yep. Totally. Yep, I mean, we made a show. I was. This. We made a show with Joe Good like three years ago called Time of Change, all about how mm-hmm. people live in the Bay Area, how they hate Ashbury to be a black or working class neighborhood. And I think we were talking about that in our, in our lives. We kind of came here on this like the same kind of mystic whim, yeah. you know, like the Bay is full of radical potential black panthers, like mm-hmm. hippie, like all these things felt like they were drawing us here. Yeah. And so I think that's really why we're here. The Bay is a special place. I think there's a reason that so many significant cultural and creative movements yeah. have come out of here. And yeah. I think we're, like Gabe was saying, we're like a part of that history in yeah. that way. Yeah. Yeah, we are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you yeah. know, I was not surprised to hear that y'all are from East Coast, New York, that kind of area. I said, I knew it was something different about y'all. <laughs> Y'all, y'all got that East Coast energy. That's what it was. I said they not. I said they not originally from here. No, no. I said they got that East Coast energy, it's that New true. York energy. The hustle, they, they the hustle. different. Yeah, uh-huh. the hustle is that yes. quick, quick energy. It's true. It's true. That means a lot. It does. Okay. Anyway, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. No, it's and it's so funny. The people who in my mind, I'm like, there's something different. Mm-hmm. And then they end up. Oh yeah, I was originally from New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. I'm like, I there you go. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so condensed that you got to get out. It's a high pressure environment. Yeah. you know, you got to get out, and that's, yeah. that's how we find ourselves exactly. cast away. No, so. <laughs> I think the, the free range aspect of the, the yeah. Bay, like culturally and creatively, is kind yeah. of what drew us. Yeah. You know, it's like anything goes, and you're really encouraged <laughs> to explore multiple multiple mediums in a way that I think places like LA or New York. It's, really it's not the same. It's like, it happens, but yeah. it's, I don't think it's nearly as encouraged as yeah. it is here in the Bay. And just the radical risk taking that people do um, here as artists. I think. It's practically a suburb. It's like a million people yeah. only in the Bay, in the yeah. NSF or whatever. It's like, it's, it's coming from New York, which is like mm-hmm. so full. You're kind of stuck with consistently dealing with other. There's always the the, the collision. Yes, and here you have a moment to, to take a break to escape and to be able to think what you actually want for yourself. In a yeah. way that I don't have a New York when I was living there as an artist. And I think the smallness, yeah. the fact that it is regionally smaller, it kind of it encourages that as well. Because yeah. it's like you get to know people yes. a lot more easily and you get to find like-minded people. And I think that's different than when you're in a much bigger city where it's, it's hard to find your people. Right. Or your tribe, your kin. Or your, right. Yeah, so. Well, we are glad that you have found us and we found you. yeah and you already shared you know where you all met but what the heck is an oyster knife (laughs) and 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 why and why (laughs) like and why i love it (laughs) that's that's what's been on everyone's mind for seven years what what the hell um so okay okay i was gonna just name the quote so i'll just say there's a quotation we'll just open to the quotation that we always say it's zora neale hurston she says 
No, I do not weep at the worries of the world. I'm too busy sharpening my oyster knife. And this was in her essay, How It Feels to Be Colored Me, which is one of her more famous essays. And essentially, the whole essay was about her rejecting the stereotype of the tragic Negro or of the you know Black suffering being the only thing that Black people have yes. to talk about as artists, as people, mm-hmm. um, you know, this idea that we can move beyond those stereotypes and talk about the things that we care about. And also, yeah. you know, the world is our pearl. We're sharpening our oyster knife. Everything is ours. Like, you know, we don't have to just limit ourselves to a certain, you know, um, topic or certain kinds of stories. And so yeah. that was why we called it oyster knife. Cause yeah. we like, we vibe with that. We want to talk about, you know, more than just our identities or we want to expand the idea of what blackness and queerness can even be. Yeah. Plus so, you know, is such a, I mean, actually her birthday is tomorrow. Yes. Uh, on the seventh after, and now she her her transition date is the twenty eighth of January, mm-hmm. and we actually have this series right now called Black Benedictions, which is definitely kind of aligning with each Sunday in January, and it happens to fall on both of her birth and I transition day. But she's such an inspiration, really, such a way that she brought they brought them to me. Mm-hmm. I don't really know Zora's work as well until a few years ago, mm-hmm. and the, the fact that Zora being an ethnographer, a uh, sort playwright. of folk, folklorist, playwright perform all these she things. She was a voodoo practitioner, she was yeah, a dancer, yes. she was an actor, so she was a multimedia That artist. kind of like bridging across the words of what we do naturally felt mm-hmm. like a good sort of model to have in our, and yeah. how we dictate our work to the world. This is actually coming through the, the filter, the lens of this, you know, amazing person who was of course discovered after her yeah. after her death as well. Like Alice Walker bringing her back, kind of mm-hmm. excavating it her. It was also based in the bank. Yes, so mm-hmm. it all made sense. Like somehow these things connected to it give us a, a place of uh, center, a place to return to as we mm. come our work in a certain way that wasn't just our name. You know? Yeah. Um, and so that's why Oyster Night, it just felt appropriate. Right. Yeah. yeah. Keeps us. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes. I love that. Oh, I'm so invested in that. It's like, don't relegate us to these sad, tragic stories. We're so much more than that. Exactly. So much more, so much more beyond the scope of what folks want us to be. Yeah, exactly. We very much reject, I think, like the white gaze that, you know, pins us to the wall in a, in a certain way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to circle back to that, oh. of that white lens and white gaze, because I'll, I'll tell the story later on. We come back from the break about how I first saw you all or how I was introduced to you. I don't know if that was your first show together, but we'll talk about that later. Okay. <laughs> but oyster knife is su- it's a choice. <laughs> I love it. I love that it extends from this dynamic boss of a woman. How is the black queer centered mm. in your work? What does that mean? And why why do you spell it B L A Q? Mm. We well, can talk about that. Yeah. That's definitely, definitely one of my one of my poetic impulses. I mean, in some ways, I think it's it's a shorthand, and in some ways, it's a really like center that both of these things are they're, they're in um, decipherable from each other. You know, mm-hmm. like my black queerness, my queer blackness are not separate. They, they my blackness informs it, and it's totally built by my queerness and vice mm-hmm. versa. Right? And I was born mm-hmm. also into both. I can't, I didn't claim or choose any of them. They just were they were uh, bestowed upon me, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I find those things, um, of course, the way that, you know, as queer people, we go through perhaps a linguistic transition from like bisexual, by curious, maybe. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, sometimes people go to gay, go to, and so that's, that's the journey that people have taken back in the 90s. At least. I think now, you know, queerness is such a, is a useful umbrella, useful space to sort of pour into. And also black with a B-L-A-Q is a, is a useful place to pour into um, and I think for us, we, we've been using black because it just keeps it all together. Right? Yeah. But it's really one thing. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about black ink. We're talking about black. Mm-hmm. And black it still sounds like yeah. a thing that we um, 
that we that we are working with. And it's too much to be like BIPOC LGBTQ plus. Yeah. Like, I love the acronym. <laughs> Like, it just takes up too much space. Yeah, exactly. We've got too many things to write and say. Yeah. Let's just keep it. We're yeah, black, and if you read it, you get the cue and you understand what's actually yeah, happening. Exactly. So it's sort of also underneath, you know, yeah. at all times. Yeah. And it's it's block. 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 Yeah. And I, I think for me, yeah, I very much agree with Gabe. I feel like I see my blackness and my queerness is inextricably linked. And I think, you know, especially as an actor, you're asked to kind of be a chameleon and be all kinds of different things. And sometimes that requires downplaying some of those aspects about yourself. And I think the beauty of Oyster Knife and the work that we do is that those things can take center stage and are allowed to shine. And it's also a really key part of uh, the kind of people we bring into our work as collaborators, as um, the kind of audiences that we reach out to. Yeah. And I think, you know, Black queer people are at the center of everything we do because it is who we are. And right. they're also, you know, the communities that are often the least seen or the least um, recognized, you know, in their fullness. So I think for us, we're always about just articulating the fullness, the possibility, the infinity mm -hmm. of these identities and mm -hmm. how it's never any one thing. Um, mm. And it's, you know, yeah, it's beyond, you know, uh, just the, the stereotype of either category. You know, it's just, it's a very broad thing. Yeah. Um, and I think, yeah, our work is about, you know, defining that, yeah. expanding upon that, sharing that. And in some ways it's like, you know, we have to keep on inventing new language. So, exactly. And, you know, we, and that's also, black is part of that. Yeah, there also wasn't clear um, for a while being used by people that we consider ancestors, even people like Zora, mm -hmm. yeah. like James Baldwin, people that we admire, they didn't use the word queer for themselves. So, a lot no, of our no, work, Zora wasn't queer. Before. Zora wasn't queer. Yeah. But but you're right. But, back then, it was considered a slur. Yes. Know? Yeah. So there's a way that I think in those in those in these moments, thinking about like how we are also like not not re revisionists, but mm -hmm. we are like trying to like sort of reintegrate and reclaim um, and reclaim mm -hmm. histories that we know are part of what made us possible. Mm -hmm. And so black is a way to, to cage or to sort of like look back. It's another sort of it's like a psychophic like mm -hmm. looking back. It's a way to look back and try to assign. A familiarity to things that we know have informed us before we even had the word career for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So I was going to say we're just we're recording this from um, Black Yard, thinking mm -hmm. of Black B L A Q. Yes, um, which is a place that we moved into like six years ago, and In December twenty seventeen. Yes, and then we decided to name it Black Yard because it was all Black queer artists at in twenty twenty. Yes, it became that. And way so yeah, so we kind of um we also are constantly like using like blackness is constantly in in our in our. Daily yeah. life also. B-L-A-Q-N-E-S. Blackness. Blackness. Blockness. Blockness. Yeah, Blackyard. Yeah. It started out as a tenants' union during 2020 when everyone was rent striking. Um, we organized with our neighbors to do a rent strike and to get some repairs done on our, our house and stuff like that because our landlord owns our neighbors' houses as well. And then, like Gabe said, once it became an all-black queer household, because at first, you know, we didn't, it wasn't all-black queer at first, but by 2020 it was. Yeah. yeah, we decided to formalize it into a collective and also a, a community hub, an artist space, an arts a space. Home for knife in mm -hmm. this way, and a yeah. home for oyster knife mm -hmm. in a way. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's a space that we really encourage the community to come and do whatever work they want to do in the space. And it's like a cheap or free place in yeah. especially in the east bay where there's not a lot of venues to do that kind of too. stuff in yeah. east oakland mm -hmm. and thanks to our, our uh, new roommates dan and b we've also expanded to do a lot more healing arts events and that mm -hmm. kind of thing social events for black queer people so yeah that was yeah. dan you just heard yeah that was dan who <laughs> you heard that was one of the mm -hmm. the members of blackyard we have a lot of different members of blackyard yeah. who have come through this space and this is our current iteration so yeah, yeah as gabe was saying black blackness b-l-a-q-n-e-s is something that's not just part of our art practice it's also part of our daily yeah, lives yeah. and where we live and you know it's part of how we organize and mm -hmm. it's it's in every aspect of our lives it's not you can't separate it from our practice or our you know personal lives yeah all. and there's like i guess one thing that's also you know just the last thing i'll say is that 
black blackness with a Q, <laughs> um, you know, and also in pop culture and media always looks a certain way, always has a certain yes. pop to it or a certain campiness. tragedy to it or exactly campiness. Mm-hmm. And I, I love, I mean, I love to see, you know, characters like in P Valley or I love to see these shows we where there it. are like really amazing uh, mm-hmm. representations, but in some ways it also really pigeonholes us yes. in a certain way. We don't act, we don't, we're not that kind of black, you know, we're a different kind of black. And so if we mm-hmm. say, if we just say we're, Forfeiting black work, people have to question. Oh, this work doesn't look like that representation of blackness I've been seeing. This actually is just uh, two people who identify as black making a, di- a whole different kind of world for themselves. And I hope that that's kind of what we leave folks yeah. with, with the way that we show. And yeah. to remember that there's space for all of it too. You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah. It's all there. There's it's not just for, that. It's not just this. Mm-hmm, exactly. For all these different iterations exactly. of black queerness. Exactly. You know? That's part of it. You want to validate all of it. Absolutely. There's space for all mm-hmm. because there is no table. It's a black yard. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Oh, Andrea's saying, where's my, I need, I need my, theory. my, our pitch. That's our, that's our yes. pitch for future grand. Screw Thank the table. There's, There's no, no table. Tables We're not backyard. getting a seat at the table. We have a free mm-hmm. black We got blankets. Exactly. We got grills. We got pillows. Don't worry about it. We got, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you should come over sometime. Please. On the way, please. We would love for you to come yeah. over. Yeah. yeah. I would love to. And you know, right now, before we take a break, we have a new segment called Bay Area Top 3. Oh, These are like favorite Bay Area people, places, things we, you love. And right now, I would love for you all to give me your top three Bay Area institutions, since now we're talking about institutions. Institutions. Okay. Wow. Wow. Oh, Jeez, that's hard. Okay. Um... And oh, they can okay. be places that have supported you or places you just like to go and be yeah. yourself and and see yourself as well. Okay, okay, okay. I'm going to say, okay, this this might be kind of random. Well, one I will say is, whew, in terms of theater stuff, one institution I really admire is Campo Santo. They do incredible theater. All of it is usually original work or original adaptations of canon, but honestly, it's mostly new work. They have really innovative directors. I've, yeah, some of the best theater I've seen has come from Campo Santo, and they also really focus on POC, mm. queer people uplifting the voices that you don't normally see in theater. So Campo Santo, if you want to see a theater show, if you ever see anything that they're doing, run, don't walk, go to the shows. Um, another institution that is really important to me uh, is one that we recently started getting involved with because of our upcoming show mm-hmm. is uh, St. John Coltrane Spiritual Community. It's a church, global. a global community, excuse me. Mm-hmm. It's a church that was founded in the hate in, I think, 1967 or 68, a little mm-hmm. after John Coltrane's death. Mm-hmm. It was a Black family who they saw him in concert and were just so inspired by his work. They they came to understand that they believed his music was anointed sound and mm-hmm. that he was a messenger brought here on earth to share the the spiritual power of music and the, the uplifting power of music. And so they literally formed a church in his name and have been going for what, 50, 40 years now, 50 years, 50 years yeah. at least. And the family is still part of the church. Their children help run the church. And basically their church sessions, they talk about God and they talk about love, but it's very much a radical message of like, you know, everyone is welcome here kind of thing. But they're basically just jazz jam sessions, which is incredible. Every time you go, they just play John Coltrane's music. There's mm-hmm. usually a musician who comes or a singer who comes. And mm-hmm. it's it's an incredible way to celebrate church with a focus on Black music and mm-hmm. Black jazz music, music, which is Black classical music. So mm-hmm. it's that's a really exciting space that we started working with recently. And then the last org, I'll say, this might feel a little random, but I want to shout them out because I really love the work they do, is Bridge Live Arts. 
Um, they're not necessarily focused solely on queerness <laughs> or blackness, but I think as a mm. dance institution, I really respect what they do in terms of talking the talk and walking the walk and really investing in community, really t- asking like, how do we dismantle white supremacy? How mm. do we dismantle hierarchical power structures and like capitalist mindsets of urgency? Mm. How we, how do we actually practice distributed leadership in a transparent way? And, you know, you know, uh, Hope Moore, who used to, it used to be called Hope Moore Dance. I really respect the way she as like a white dance leader mm-hmm. has been like, how do I decenter myself? How do I make this mm-hmm. about something that's bigger than me? What does it look like to gracefully transition from uh, a, a named dance org that's about my work to something that's about the community? Mm-hmm. And so I just feel like they don't get enough credit for the work that they're doing. I think it's really radical. And I think a lot of their dance institutions could take note. And they also have Absolutely. support. Um, yeah. And they've definitely supported my work as Performance Primers, which is an emerging artist showcase that I helped co-curate, and they've supported a lot of other dope artists doing community work. So Bridge Live Arts, love them. I, I want to see more of other dance institutions, you know, replicating the kind of work they do. Mm. Yeah. That's good. That's a good list. <laughs> I'll add, because I feel like I don't wanna I don't think I have any additional ones. I think those are a great topic. No, you gotta say three. No, I think I don't have three more. Those are the, probably the best three. But I'll say I have to add for the sake, I think we have to add counterpost, of course. Sure. Yes. Because counterpost is the fo- are the folks who have sort of been our like incubator for our work from 2018, 2019 mm-hmm. onwards. So in some ways, and also producing this next show at Grace mm-hmm. Cathedral. And I know that for me, I've done probably like 20 shows there. So yeah, a lot of my work please. has been presented ultimately on that stage. So I know that for me to be where I'm at, I had to have a place to do the work. It's like, at least I know it's gone through so much transition and has had so many folks working for that organization, but they also are pretty consistent in, in supporting work uh, by folks who look like me. And so I give them their, their flowers in that moment. And they just bought their building. Yeah. Um, they, they will be an institution in, in the making. They're like a baby institution now, I suppose. Mm. Yeah, but the, I was going to say the, I was going to say the church as well. Huh? I was going to say, okay, I'll say. I'll, <laughs> I'm feeding them. I will, <laughs> they're my producer. My, my, my producer. Um, <laughs> I also think the church of St. Joe Coltrane, I was just going to put them back on the map yeah. one more time because I think they. Like I said, I think for me coming from a jazzy family, a Christian mm-hmm. jazzy family, whatever, a jazz background, <laughs> jazz lineage, and a Christian lineage, they really have figured out how to merge these two really um, disparate worlds actually into one space. Mm-hmm. I love them. They, they also need space. They need more support. They need they more do. money. They currently are in magic theaters like Annex, which yeah. is like all the way to Fort Smith, hard to get to. They had a building for a long in the time. Hay, actually. In the Hague. Mm-hmm. So I feel like they just, I just want them to have a building. I think they need to have yeah. like a freaking, um, a full, uh, a, a, a sign on the street and like people yep. coming in mass. It really mm-hmm. is Wild House not gotten any support. Um, it's just it's not, kind of boggling to me. Um, so I put them back on. And mm-hmm. of course I'll say for the sake of churches, Glide is yeah down the street from us. We work with Glide currently with Marvin K. White at Glide. We've been going to serve. We're, we're also people who are kind of coming back to like attending. Mm-hmm. We're not identifying as Christian fully, but we are going to attending church services. And Glide's been the one where we've both cried. Like, yeah. We have yeah. not cried anywhere else. Yeah. They know how to reach, I think, Aww. a wide birth of people. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do really important work in the yeah. community, in the Tenderloin especially, yes. and with queer mm-hmm. I've folks. been a partner for a long time yeah. with Skywatchers, with folks that mm-hmm. I, yeah, I've been working with outside of this concept. So yeah. I give them their flowers. So they've just been um, holding it down yeah. in a really tough, tough time in a tough neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's the kind of church I wish I went to when I was a kid. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I might have invested <laughs> further in the religion yeah. if I went to that kind of church. Yeah, at that time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah shout out to Glide. They're amazing. Love the work that they do. Mm-hmm. So right now we're going to take a short break to catch up on previous episodes of The Black Landscape. Download on Apple Podcasts, Buzzsprout, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to leave a review. Five stars if you love us. <laughs> when we come back, we will hear more from Oyster Knife. 
we are back with Chibweze and Gabrielle, aka Oyster Knife. Mm-hmm. Now, the first time I saw you to perform under this name, Oyster Knife, it was at the Counter Pulse. And I don't know if this was the first or second iteration of Mouthful, but it really gave a fusion of, as you said before, of testimony and African indigenous spiritual practices within and without, you know, the Christian church. So mm-hmm. how, because now we're doing Mouthful again, mm-hmm. but is this same? Is it different? Is it the fifth, sixth, tenth edition? Where are we at? Where are we at? <laughs> I mean, I feel like I'll say, you know, we're so inspired by people like Amara, Tabor Smith, who talk about episodes, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and Ellen Sebastian Chang, you know, for the House Full of Black Women. I think that um, that piece you saw was our first, it was the first iteration. We technically call calling this a different show for Grant mm-hmm. and also reality. It is a different show. And to be fair, yeah. what you saw was actually a work in progress. I know yeah. it was giving full evening yes. length show because we're crazy, it was but it was, it was actually a work in progress. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, since then we've done like so many showings at Dance Mission and um, and, mm-hmm. uh, and something at Grace. So we've mm-hmm. done like little pop-up like episodes yeah. recently that we realize are just all about building up more capacity to tell the story that we need to for this show, hopefully in February. Second through fourth at Grace Cathedral, um, and so this feels like the culmination. This is like know, the true final, true like final full evening. Length Unless version. we go on tour, which you know. <laughs> Look, listen, speak it, speak it into the atmosphere. Exactly, exactly. exactly. under tour, people, we're here. But yeah, no, I, I think like Gabe said, this is like the actual. Um, fully realized version of mouthful and yeah. you know it's going to be exploring similar themes or kind of the same themes of like testimony african indigenous um spiritual practices syncretic practices as they've developed in the black church and the ways that the black church is you know both a really intense space for a lot of people but also a really important space for black people and also uh, a place that's very different like the way black people practice christianity in black church is different from the rest of the Christian community, at least in the United States. Um, oh, absolutely. For sure. Yeah. And so it's going to have some of those same themes, but we, this time it's not going to be just, well, actually the first time we did have collaborators as well, but we had like 11 different black and queer collaborators who every night we had the show was a different featured performer. Mm-hmm. This time we're going to have a set cast. It's us, Marvin K. White and three amazing dancers, Styles Alexander, Tara Bruckner and Natalia Shoaf. And um, we're going to have a lot of musical collaborators. We're working with St. John Coltrane Church. Mm-hmm. We're working with X Media Noche, who's a really dope experimental organist. Uh, B, a.k.a. DJ Blue Moon, who's an incredible musician and artist in their own right. And a ton of other really dope mm-hmm. designers who are helping us make an incredible set piece, video, mm-hmm. um, lighting, mm-hmm. projections. Mm-hmm. So many people to name, so I can't name all of them. But if you go on the Counterpulse website, you can see them. And it's going to be at Grace Cathedral, which is the biggest change. We're actually inside a real church. Yeah. And so for us, I think the big task is how do we bring in these stories that we started talking about in our first version of the show and the different iterations we've done? How do we connect to this really historic and incredibly beautiful space of mm-hmm. performance? But also how do we subvert what we're seeing? Like this is the edifice. This is the Christian church that we are so mm-hmm. you know affected by. And how do we kind of black in that space how do we kind of reclaim that space in our own image and kind of you know uh work with this place but also expand what it could be in this performance Mm -hmm. and kind of push beyond the literal confines of that space Mm -hmm. um through the performance through like kind of an immersive performance so like all oyster knife shows it's going to be immersive it's going to be multimedia you're going to be participating get ready to move around get ready to you know do something and um i don't want to say too much more without to reviewing it but 
Hey, yes. please add to what That's I was great. That was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I like so what you said to blacken it up. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that's something we got to blacken up more spaces. Okay. Exactly. Precisely. I think we've been thinking about that a lot with the show. Yeah. Like, what is different about the way Black people practice spirituality, specifically Christianity? And I think something we've been thinking about a lot is these two different things. One is this blackening, like how blackness changes and affects everything that it touches, both like literally in a scientific sense, but also in a cultural sense too. Mm -hmm. And also this idea of rewilding the church is something we've talked about Mm -hmm. a lot. Like how do we um, kind of, again, reclaim it, but also kind of uh, kind of connected to, I think you were talking about this game. How did you, can, can you explain again what you meant? Well, to do, we, had, we had a sculpture that we were going to have yes. built for this that was built by another artist named Keon Williams who had to mm-hmm. drop out of the project because their amazing career. I think I'm happy that mm-hmm. they're doing their thing. But um, we were designing this idea of building a god home inside of the church. It's based off of Mbari, which is an Igbo god home, Igbo altar space. And the idea of that thing is it's built out of soil. It's built out of uh, earth materials. Um, and so the church is like so much about like, building a space that is separate from the earth somehow. And so how do the rewilding is how do you bring the mm-hmm. earth back into the space of yes. stone and like really treated, really polished, really manicured, really painted. What, how do we bring back the things that actually are where we first found faith, which yes. is like the earth itself. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then connected to that, how do we bring in like our black indigenous cultures in that way that feels connected yes. to this rewilding that, yes. you know, that, those cultures have never really left that space. They've taken yeah. new forms. We have, you know, different styles of worship that come from those indigenous African practices and they're still there. So yeah. how do we draw that out? Right. How do we make that more like defined? Yeah. And how do we kind of embrace those things? Because, you know, of course, a lot of Christians, I had someone literally tell me this after we did a performance at Glide, a lot of Christians and black Christians see that stuff as demonic. And it's like, but yeah. this is actually our history and our culture. And this preexisted. Uh, yeah, practices exactly yeah. before demons yeah. even existed this yeah. was something we did and you're yeah. actually still practicing it yeah. you just don't see it that way yeah. the singing the dancing the clapping the way we you know are taken by the spirit that's all related to like mounting it's all related to like you know spiritual masquerade. possession masquerade mm-hmm. the theatricality of church mm-hmm. it's all related to our original mm-hmm. ancestral oral histories oral history kind of things, yep. you know kind yep. of dazzling with the word spectacle all of that is yeah. related to our, the ways that black people and Afro-Diaspora people practice church so yeah. we're trying to draw that out and then also bring our spin to it yes. as black queer artists, yep. as Oyster Knife, and with our cast as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, yeah. The black church can definitely be a spectacle mm-hmm. at times. Some mm-hmm. people, pe- people giving Broadway shows sometimes, child. <laughs> it's a budget. It's like, oh, wow, I should be paying $100. <laughs> All right. There's so many places where. The church has turned into the club. It's turned into yes. Yes. a stage theater with Hamilton style shows. I'm like, I'm like y'all, y'all doing all this, but then have an issue with block people with a queue. Exactly coming in there trying to get their worship on too, which yes. is a whole other thing. We're not gonna go down that tangent, but tangent. But that's a whole no, other thing. I'm that's a whole other conversation. But <laughs> no, but I'm glad you brought it up because those two things, like again church has been a refuge for black queer people. Mm-hmm. They've always been in the church. They've been the deacons. They've been the preachers. They've been the, the church aunties, the organists. Music directors. Black queer people are very mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> part of that space. Mm-hmm. But ironically, we also feel the least safe in those spaces. So that's another goal of our show is to, how do we create a space where black queer people feel safe in this church space that we are entering into yeah. literally and that we're also kind of creating through our work. Yeah. And then the other thing I'm so glad you brought up is club, church is club, because I've literally seen that. I saw the other day on, Instagram, some church in Atlanta did a New Year's Eve club party thing in the church, I guess, to kind of keep people away from the bad influences. But I'm bringing up club <laughs> to say that mm-hmm. 
thinking about in the mm-hmm. show is how do black people and people in general, but especially black people find church in other spaces outside yeah. the church, like in club spaces, in gatherings with each other, in creative spaces, especially as queer people, I feel like we're used to finding sanctuary in each other and finding sanctuary in unusual spaces or in spaces that are considered, I don't know, shadowy or like Mm -hmm. uh, uh, not mainstream or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the club is one of those spaces. House music is one of those spaces. It's that place where, you know, people really feel like they get saved on the dance floor. There's a reason we say that. It's a spiritual experience. And so we're trying to bring in that Mm -hmm. kind of queer understanding of you know, church can be anywhere. Church can be in the unexpected place too. Mm-hmm. And that includes the club. So mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought those up because it's definitely relevant to what we're doing. Absolutely. And you know, the word says if two or more gather. Thank you. <laughs> I am there. In his name. Okay. We exactly. there. <laughs> exactly. Yes. There's so many queer readings mm-hmm. of Christianity that I think Marvin K. White, especially mm-hmm. has been such a great support and such a great resource for us. And mm-hmm. how do we look at the Bible and reframe and read in between the lines to find the interpretations that are actually useful and relevant to us. Uh, One of the things that he said to us that really blew my mind and was kind of like an opening for this piece when we first started writing with him for the show is he was talking about the 10 commandments and he was like, well, you know, the first 10 command, the first of the 10 commandments says, uh, you shall have no other God, but me. And to me, that first commandment reveals that God is acknowledging that there are other gods. But I, I just want to be the one that, you know, I want you to worship. So even that is like such an incredible reading of the Bible and mm-hmm. acknowledging the fact that there are other indigenous cosmologies, other indigenous spiritualities mm-hmm. that are still present mm-hmm. in the readings of the Bible, mm-hmm. in the ways we talk about Christianity. It's just that, you know, in the mainstream sense and the conservative, especially white evangelical influence of church, we tend to erase that. But mm-hmm. it's but it is there. It's it is in the Bible too. We just have to look for it and find it. Um so we're trying to find it. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And Jesus was a diva himself. Listen, a diva. He was out here flipping tables, snap, snapping on people like. Yes, hanging out, out with workers, hanging out with the, the poor. Hang, yeah. Right, yeah. hanging out with sex workers, the poor, thieves, robbers, mm-hmm. gossips, all yeah. of that. Exactly. <laughs> all of that and he was i i really love the message of seeing jesus as like a palestinian revolutionary that's yep. what he was a jewish mm-hmm. revolutionary yeah. you know he he mm-hmm. would be fighting you know mm-hmm. right now like mm-hmm. without getting too much into that he mm-hmm. would be on the front lines too because that's the kind of mm-hmm. you know, prophet he was you know so yeah it's there's a much more radical reading of jesus i think the deeper you get into it and especially he was definitely a frontline prophet Listen, yeah, exactly, exactly. So we're kind of trying to channel that Remember understanding that. Yeah. of him too, that mm-hmm. he's not just this white dude who was like, I don't know, no. what is it, turn the other cheek. That wasn't his only message. That wasn't no, even his no. main message, you know? And he wasn't white. Like He wasn't white. I don't, so I, I'm not going to get into that. That's, a, again, a whole other conversation. Whole other but my Jesus is black. Mm-hmm. He got locks and he be swinging them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. And if, you, and if you go to John Coltrane Church, they got a huge, beautiful Byzantine of style mural Jesus. of Black Jesus yes. with locks. So that, that is the Jesus that we're talking to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I thank you both so much for chatting with me. It's been great having you here. It's been being here. Thank you yeah, so much. Yeah, see you at the show. Hopefully. Yes, please. Mm-hmm. Yes. So drop the show information one more time. Worthing. So uh, uh, Valfour will premiere February 2nd at 7.30. We have two more shows after that, February 3rd at 7.30 and February 4th at 7, mm-hmm. all at Grace Cathedral, which is at 1100 California Street in San Francisco at the top of, I guess it's Knob Hill. Mm-hmm. Um, closest BART would be the Powell Street Station, take a bus. Um, and we're excited to show this. It's about an hour and a half long show. Mm-hmm. Um, no, plus, late seating, no late so seating, so get there on oh. time. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, so no CP time. No, unfortunately, I mean, we wish we could, but no. <laughs> <laughs> we want to make sure you get the full experience. Yes, so doors be- doors open 15 minutes beforehand, mm-hmm. and uh, also we'll be meeting. Just important to say, we'll be meeting in the side of the church, not the oh, not the front door. So when you get there, just know there'll be a sign. There'll be a sign, and it'll be the side of the church. And we'll, two we'll more start. things to add quickly is we are still figuring out our ASL uh, interpretation dates and our audio description dates, but, but the, it'll potentially be on the fourth. But yes. we will share that more with people as we um, book that. But we will have audio description and we will have American Sign Language Services for one night each so that we can reach our deaf and visually impaired community. Mm -hmm. And tell the audience where they can find you and book you. Ah, Sure. (laughs) We have an email. Yes. Um, Oysterknifeperformance at gmail.com is how you reach us. We have an Instagram, Mm -hmm. oysterknife. It's underscore oysterknife underscore. That's right. Mm -hmm. And um, we also, yeah, we do have some things coming up in the summer. Thankfully, we work we choreograph for theater shows. Mm-hmm. We perform our own work. We curate. We, we curate. co-direct. Mm-hmm. We also collaborate. Multi-hyphenates. With mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. To develop their work. Mm-hmm. And we're also fiscally sponsored artists of Counterpulse. Yes. So if you want to make a tax-deductible donation, you can go to the Counterpulse website, look us up, and make a donation there. Yes. And you can also go on the Counterpulse website to uh, register for our workshops that are happening January 7th. 14th, 21st, and 28th. There's information about all those Black on, Benedictions. Mm-hmm, yep. on the Counterpulse website. And mm-hmm. you can also buy tickets for our show on the website. Wonderful. Thank you all again so much for being here. Thank you yeah, for having thank us, Thank you. Andrea. Such a pleasure. Yeah, and those links will be in our show notes. Tap in and support Block and Black Creativity. <laughs> <laughs> Thank all of you out there for listening and supporting another season. Again, leave a review of the show on Apple Podcasts or in the comments of our social media. This has been another episode of The Black Landscape with Andrea Spearman, where Black excellence is always trending.